Welcome to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We hope the following program will challenge you and encourage you in your faith journey. Healing of heart, soul, mind, and strength is always part of God's plan for our life. And just like we rely on things like physical therapy or going to the gym to get physically healthy, it's okay to rely on counseling or even medication for us to get emotionally and mentally healthy. And I think we have to give Christians permission to realize, number one, they're not immune to these struggles. And number two, there is nothing wrong with acknowledging that they're not okay and then getting the help that they need. That's Deborah Faleta, and she's with us today on Focus on the Family. Your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly, and I'm John Fuller. John, the last couple of years has really highlighted the importance of health, all aspects of it, including physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual. And in the face of COVID, hopefully we're, we're looking in the rearview mirror of that, uh, we all scrambled to be as healthy as possible. But there's a lot of underlying stress, worry, sorrow, anguish uh, woven into the mix. Mm-hmm. And we hear from families every day who are broken and hurting. And that's one of the great things that uh, Focus provides. You can contact us for anything, and we will try to respond with help and to equip you. That's our goal. That's what we want to do. So as you listen along today with one of the best of the best guests we've had this past year, I think she will stir in your heart some questions you may need some help answering. Mm. And that guest is Deborah Faleta. Uh, her content always hits the mark with our audience, and she's a licensed professional counselor, a, a national speaker, a relationship expert, and a uh, wife and mom to four, and she's written a great book that addresses some of the topics that we'll be discussing today. It's called Are You Really Okay? Getting Real About Who You Are, How You're Doing, and Why It Matters. And we've got copies of that here at the ministry. Just stop by focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast or call 1-800-THE-LETTER-A-IN-THE-WORD-FAMILY. Deborah, welcome back to Focus. Thank you. It's good to be here. Yeah, it is good to be here. Uh, you know, knowing you, you have four children, a fairly recent arrival. Yeah. So your hands are full. Yes, it's very. It's been a bit of a chaotic time it's for you, too. It's a full season. <laughs> Let's put it that way. So your kids are like uh, from 11 to 1, right? Or 12 yeah. to 1. Yeah. That is so awesome. So you're living the dream. Yeah. I loved it. Somebody gave me great advice saying, you know, every stage of parenting has been great. And this was an empty nester. So I've tried to hold to that. Uh, Just every stage, enjoy it, and uh, remember the highlights from it. So isn't that good advice? Yeah, it is, absolutely. Uh, Coming to today's topic, the am I okay kind of question, there are some big issues out there in the culture right now. Mm -hmm. And as a counselor, uh, you aim to help people get back on track. What are some of the general things that you're seeing with your clients You know, I would tell you this, the main thing is that we're not as healthy as we think we are. And we just talked about parenting. And I think sometimes we have a tendency to focus so much on our children, our marriage, our ministry, and neglect how healthy we are. Our lack of. Our lack of health. They did a study and they took a bunch of people and they asked them to rate themselves on a scale. How good do you think you drive? How kind are you? And the majority of people rated themselves better than average. We oh, good. I we feel can't better. all be better than average. I think I right? would do that too. And they took that same study even to the prisons and the prisoners rated themselves as better than average. So pastors to prisoners, we all have a tendency to think that we're doing better than we really are. Well, let me ask you this question and certainly knock it down. I'm not trying to persuade you, but could that be a mechanism to get through the day that God provides this 
maybe overly optimistic opinion mm-hmm. of ourselves so we can cope? Or is that, you know, at some point that's not a healthy thing? You know, I think there's a level of optimism that's healthy. But I think when we go through life never acknowledging the hard things, avoiding them, repressing them, pretending like they're not there, there's going to be a point where they hit us. There's going to be a point where they start to bring us down. And I think a lot of people have seen that happen over the past two years since COVID and all of the things we've been going through. All of the hard things that we're not dealing with are starting to come to the surface. Yeah, and there's some crazy things. I think the post-op on this whole pandemic thing is going to be quite brutal. I think to so everybody who was engaged in trying to manage it for the country. I, I don't think it's going to be pretty. Because we've been in survival mode for so long. And in survival mode, you're just trying to get through. But once you get to the other side, that's when it starts to hit you. And that's when you have to really face some of those hard things. Let me ask you the, just the big why, the general why question. Uh, we as Christians, you know, we, we believe we're made up of body, soul, and spirit. So yes. in that context, when we look at our well-being, you know, I think generally we don't pay enough attention to our physical health. You know, some people really are good at it. I think Colorado here is one of the fittest states in the United States. Mm -hmm. But again, it's an outlier. And then, you know, moving right through that to emotional health, mental health, and spiritual health. Describe those. You know, when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord with all your heart soul, mind, and strength. And he could have just said, love the Lord, period. But he broke those up into four quadrants because they represent different parts of our health, emotional health, spiritual health, mental health, and physical health. And so I think it's really important that we kind of focus on all of those things. Yeah, which is good. And But it, understanding it is part of the battle because we, I mean, lay people, you are a counselor, so you get it. But a lot of us don't know how to assess or even be mindful of an unhealthy state. Let's move to a topic that we get here often at Focus on the Family, dealing with toxic people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one of the things. I mean, we might have an optimistic view of, of ourselves, mm-hmm. <laughs> but you know, dealing with toxic people is such a hard thing. So first, I guess, is what's the definition of a toxic person? And then ha- what are some good tools, spiritually and mentally, to use in those kinds of relationships? Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's important that we started the conversation talking about our personal health, because when you become healthy, you recognize toxic people more than you would have if you weren't healthy. Mm. And so once you start working on yourself and taking ownership for what you need to work on, then you kind of look around you. And you can see when there's people in your life that aren't living in a healthy way, that are tearing you down, that are manipulative, that are constantly negative, that are critical all the time. And when we talk about toxicity, we're not talking about a one-time event. I mean, we all have a little bit of toxicity in us because we're sinful human beings. What we're talking about is a pattern of behavior that is constantly bringing you down and constantly bringing the people around you down as well. Yeah, and it's important. I I don't know if we are educated enough or aware enough of knowing that toxic personality. Can you give us a little more in terms of the adjectives? What does that relationship look like when the one person, let's assume it's you, the listener, you're in a pretty healthy place. And then you have this girlfriend who does name those characteristics. A toxic person is always going to be um, using manipulative means. They're selfish. They're spiteful. Um, They like to bring others down with their words, with their actions, and they don't take responsibility. It's always everybody else's fault. Mm. Um, So there's a lot of things that you're looking for in that pattern of behavior. 
Yeah. Yeah. I would think in today's culture too. I mean, the uh, hyperness yeah. of toxicity is right there in front of us. I mean, on social media, right. Pinterest, mm-hmm. wherever it's at, you know, there's just like anonymous attacks on each other. Right. Seemingly anonymous. We know your handle, you might say, but to go after people the way the culture goes after people today is so unhealthy. Absolutely. And I think we've let our guard down. You know, we've started doing what we do on social media behind the safety of a computer. Yeah. And now it's starting to affect the rest of our life and, and our real life interactions. Right. In that regard, uh, Deborah, so let's say I have a coworker. Not This is a hypothetical because everybody at Focus on the Family is wonderful to work with. <laughs> uh, but let's say I have a coworker and they're really, I can't avoid them, but they're always negative. They're just pulling me down even though I want to be positive. How do I handle that? When it's a coworker, somebody that's not in close proximity, you know, not a family member, for example, it makes it a little bit easier because you can take responsibility for your interactions. I think when we talk about the term boundaries, what we're really looking at is what can I do here? What am I responsible for versus what can I force them to do? Because really, you can't make someone do anything. But what you can do is begin to pull away. What you can do is set boundaries around your life and how you're going to respond or choose not to respond, the amount of time that you're going to spend with someone or lack thereof. And you start taking ownership of the things that you can change. And that's what begins to change the relationship. You know, one of the things I've observed, and then we're going to move on to some other topics, but I I think even watching Jean, my wife, uh, when we were younger, certainly her stories uh, being in high school, she's a very kind person. That's her trait, you know, and People can take advantage of that, and I know people listening fit that category where you want to say yes so often, and Jean was like that. I mean, yeah. if I remember one of the things she told me about is I think two boys asked her to the prom, and she said yes to both because she couldn't wow. say no, oh. <laughs> and then she had to unwind that, right? Yeah. And you can apply that later in the 20s and 30s, and I, th- I think a lot of people can connect with that, especially I think women tend to want to do the right thing, be there for people, help people, they nurture. I mean, it's right there. So in that context, for the listener that maybe is in the 30s and 40s and hasn't built sufficient boundaries, what can they do to be aware of it? And then how to manage the guilt feeling of saying no. Well, let me put it this way. One of my favorite analogies with a healthy relationship is seeing it like a plant. If you give a plant too much water, like in this case that you're talking about, I'm being too nice, I'm giving too much, I'm not expecting anything in return, the plant will die. If you give it too little water, it will also die. And I think sometimes we need to see relationships in the context of a plant, realizing that when we're giving too much without expecting anything in return, we're actually doing our part to kill, destroy, and harm the relationship. Wow, that's good. But is there a transaction um, emotionally for that person that's in that spot that they think by saying yes too much, they're earning brownie points or something to where they have to get get that right to say, wait a minute, this is costing my family, my husband, my relationship. For many of us, we give too much because it's rooted in guilt. We feel guilty or we don't feel like we're valuable enough to receive or we feel like God wants us to keep giving at the expense of ourselves. So a lot of it stems from unhealthy beliefs about ourselves Mm. or about the world around us or even about God. And we have to get to the root of why we say yes too much, why we give too much in order to be able to start changing the pattern of our behavior. Mm. Yeah, no, that is so good. Let's move to codependency. Uh, It's a term that a lot of people may not understand. So 
maybe defining it would be the way to go. Uh, you have a story, in fact, about a young woman you counseled. What, what did codependency look like for her? You know, when you think about codependency, I want you to imagine two cups that are half full. And, and think about it this way. I counseled a woman who thought that marriage would fill up her cup. She thought it would give her the security and the safety and the purpose and the value. And she gets into marriage, and within weeks, months, years, you name it, you realize that this relationship can't fill you up if you're not already full. Your relationship is only going to be as full and healthy as you are standing alone. Mm -hmm. And I think there's too many people that go into relationships thinking it's going to fill them up. It's going to give them security or purpose. And when we talk about codependency, we're talking about going into relationships out of our need versus out of what we have to give. Well, in fact, you use that term uh, need love versus real love. Right. So yeah. describe those mm -hmm. two. Need love drives you towards somebody based on what they can give to you because mm. you're feeling insecure. You're feeling like you're not enough standing alone. You're feeling like you don't have the value. You're looking for what they can give you. But real love doesn't look like that. When we look at Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 13, it's all about the actions of love. It's all about what we give in the relationship. And so I think we really have to come to terms with the relationships around us, whether we're talking about friendships or romantic relationships or marriage. Do I come to the table with a need to receive or am I coming to the table with a need to give? Mm -hmm. those, those gaps that we recognize in our lives um, can be formed in a variety of ways. Many of them come from our childhood, yeah. these triggers, and you get into marriage, and oh boy, do we get to really become uh, professional at pushing each other's triggers, yeah. right? And these things, in some other person, it's not going to be a big deal. But right. when if I say something to Gene a certain way, boy, it gets a different response. And so speak to the childhood issue, and then you know, the the capability to recognize these things and then to begin to relax. Yeah. So I call them emotional sore spots. And whether they drive us to codependent relationships or whether they're what cause conflict in our relationships in the present, if you think about it like a sore spot, a black and blue spot. The other day I was leaving the house and I accidentally bumped my arm on the side of the door. It caused a black and blue mark. Well, then later my husband came over to, to give me a side hug as we were, you know, talking. Which was very sweet of him. And he touched the <laughs> black and blue mark. Yes. And it hurt. Yes. But it wasn't because of what he did. It was because there was a wound already there. Mm. And so if we think about that in the context of our emotional relationships, sometimes the wound is already there from childhood. Maybe I, I didn't feel validated in childhood or, or I was neglected or abandoned or there was divorce in my family that made me feel a lack of value. Well, later on in life, when somebody gets near those wounds, they're triggered and we hurt all over again. And what we don't realize is that many times it's rooted in those past unhealed hurts. Yeah. And that, that seems like a daunting task to be that aware of yourself. I don't mean to... It does, doesn't it? it, it? <laughs> it's an uphill thing yes. to really know yourself well enough to know why Why is this triggering me? What do I have to do? What work do yes. I have to do in order to not let it penetrate or let that bruise yeah. hurt so much? Yeah. That's the real work, right? That's the real work. What does that look like? One of my favorite passages in scripture says, the purposes of a person's heart are like deep waters, but one who has insight draws them out. When you think about drawing out waters in ancient times, they didn't just turn on a faucet and the water came out. 
you had to do the work. You had to go to the well. You had to bring up that water. It was blood, sweat, and tears work. Mm. And that's the work of becoming emotionally healthy. Sure, it's work. And sure, it's difficult. But if if we want to have insight, if we want to have understanding of our own heart, we've got to do the work and draw it out. And I really believe we're not doing it alone because God is with us. The Holy Spirit guides us as we look back. And not only that, there's the help of professional counselors that we can rely on. This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment. Man, I knew my marriage was falling apart. I just didn't know how to fix it. I felt like I would always be alone, even if I stayed married. At Focus on the Family's Hope Restored Marriage Intensive, we offer hope to couples in crisis so they can have the marriage they've always dreamed of. For the first time, I felt like my husband truly heard me. I've received some great tools from the counselors that have changed my life and my marriage. To begin the journey of finding health, go to hoperestored.com today. You know that situation your family's facing? It's okay to ask for professional help. Focus on the Family's Christian Counselors Network can confidentially point you to a trusted therapist near you. We've been connecting families to verified Christian counselors for more than 40 years. Find a way forward for your family at focusonthefamily.com slash get help. That's focusonthefamily.com slash get help. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. Deborah, uh, 2020 with COVID, uh, a lot of the research is indicating right now the the spikes in depression and anxiety. Yeah. And uh, I guess in that context, what are some of the signs? So people uh, can notice them. I I would really encourage parents to be on the lookout with your children. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because uh, I was uh, getting a haircut the other day, and in the waiting area, there was about an eight-year-old boy and his dad, and he was pretending to be a doctor and was saying, Daddy, let me give you a COVID shot, and was swabbing the arm with a tissue and a, you know, an invisible syringe. And I thought, wow, the impact of that. Here, this eight-year-old boy, that's his playtime with his dad, mm-hmm. is pretending to give him a vaccine. Uh, that shows you how in tune children are with the world around them. Yeah. So how, how do we notice depression and anxiety? What does it look like? Yeah, we talked earlier about how when we don't deal with certain things, they inevitably make their way to the surface. And I call that an emotional explosion, kind of like a volcano. The pressure just builds. And we've seen a lot of emotional explosions mm-hmm. this year. And when we talk about depression and anxiety, it's not just feelings of worry or sadness. Many times the emotional struggle starts to manifest in physical things. So all of a sudden you're not hungry or you're eating too much. Maybe you have insomnia and you can't sleep. Or maybe you're sleeping too much, you can't get out of bed. Maybe you're Mm -hmm. having a hard time concentrating. Maybe you feel fatigue and a lack of energy before you even get out of the bed. And all of these things point to something going on underneath the surface emotionally. And I think sometimes we write it off because we don't always understand the body-mind connection. But when you start feeling hopelessness and then you start seeing all of these things begin to manifest in your body, it's time to take a pause and check in and really ask yourself what's going on on the inside. Yeah. You know, so much of what we deal with and what we talk about with great guests like you is this, you know, informed, you're a counselor, you're an informed professional, you have, uh, you know, gone through the rigors of 
learning, training, practicing the art of counseling. It is a Christian thing to do, ironically, in my opinion. You don't need a state license to say it's good to help somebody. Right. And uh, But now combining those two things, you know, some people in the Christian community put kind of a stiff arm to counseling and psychology because it sounds too worldly. But the realness of that is combining both a great theological foundation with practical scientific application. The two kind of run together. They don't run apart. And that's the point, I guess, for the Christian community. It's okay to get help with a counselor. Mm. Healing of heart, soul, mind, and strength is always part of God's plan for our life. And just like we rely on things like physical therapy or going to the gym to get physically healthy, it's okay to rely on counseling or even medication for us to get emotionally and mentally healthy. And I think we have to give Christians permission to realize, number one, they're not immune to these struggles. And number two, there is nothing wrong with acknowledging Mm -hmm. that they're not okay and then getting the help that they need. Yeah, and I I think back to the idea of working toward a good goal with emotional well-being. God wants you in that place because you're more effective for him. I mean, it's not a selfish thing, but a healthy Christian is a magnificent tool in the hands of a mighty God, right? Absolutely. And the opposite is also true. (laughs) Correct. An unhealthy Christian is a magnificent tool that the enemy can use because all of that unhealth and struggle and conflict begins to overflow into all of our relationships Mm -hmm. and our family and our ministry. Yeah. And Deborah, in that regard, I'm going to press you a little bit. You you dealt with anxiety personally. It, It impacted you. It affected you. Describe what happened in your own life and how you got through the forest of that. Christians are not immune and neither are licensed professional counselors, right? None of us are immune to the struggles of this world. And, you know, the trauma from my past paired with the stress in my present caused me to have an emotional explosion at one point in my life. And I dealt with different things from depression to anxiety to panic attacks that came to the surface in a stressful season of life. And I had to learn to recognize the symptoms and get myself into help, get myself the support that I needed. I'm not just talking the talk here. This is something that I have lived out. I've been, there has been a point in my life where I wasn't okay. Mm. And I needed to take the steps to get there. And I think in the book, you even relate that to your childhood where you were fearful about things and describe some of that. So we as parents, and even if we're experiencing some of that can relate to it. The roots of our past have so much impact on who we are today. And I think sometimes we look on a superficial level in the present without going back. But when I look back, I see glimpses of who I am today in my childhood. I was an overly sensitive child. And there's beauty in that. That's why I'm a therapist today. But on the other end of the spectrum of sensitivity is anxiety, where you're taking too much upon yourself. You're Mm. too aware of things. And so I think it's important for parents to be able to look for those traits in their children, early signs of anxiety, early signs of depression, and even realize that it's our role to help our children acknowledge our emotions and understand what's going on underneath the surface. Let me ask you, this is a really delicate example, but oftentimes here, focus, if we're talking about marital strife, one of the things the producers are always reminding John and I to mention that if you're in an abusive relationship, 
you need to get yourself into safety. Uh, there's been some examples in the culture recently where people that should have known better did not give that advice to people who were in an abusive situation. And that's, that's such a poor choice not to help them in that moment. And sometimes that can end in death, right? right. Death of a spouse where you have a husband who's out of control and just cannot manage it. And a lot of Christian people may give the wrong advice. You know, stick with the marriage. Right. No, you got to get yourself to safety, then work on the issues. But that's one of those examples of where you don't know if you're really seeing it. But as a counselor, how would you encourage people to not only be observant, but when they need to speak, to speak? Yeah. You know, just because something is familiar to you and you have seen it happen in your childhood or, or in your marriage again and again, doesn't mean it's healthy. Sometimes we are so comfortable with unhealthy things that we don't call them out, that we don't recognize them, that we don't put some accountability there. If you're seeing signs of abuse in your relationship, if there's manipulation and selfishness and, and you feel like you're not safe in your relationship, the first thing you need to do is get yourself to safety. Set those boundaries around yourself and then get yourself healthy. Work on yourself before you begin working on the relationship. Mm. Deborah, this has been so good. Uh, and you're so quick and capable of giving a pithy answer and getting right to the kind of the gym that people need to hear. And I so appreciate it. This is so good. And this is the second time we've come back to your wonderful book, Are You Really Okay? Getting Real About Who You Are, How You're Doing, and Why It Matters. And I'm sure we're going to have you back again and again and again. And the listeners just really love how you approach things. So thank you for being with us. Well, thank you. The main reminder here is just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you're healthy. And we can work alongside of the Holy Spirit to get to a healthy place. That's it. And, you know, focus, John, we are built to help you. Uh, mm -hmm. That's what we've been doing for over 40 years now. And Dr. Dobson set that great foundation in place. And we're continuing that tradition of having state licensed counselors, Christian counselors available for you call. We'll probably have to take your name and they'll get back with you to help you and guide you and pray with you and give you some ideas on next steps and take advantage of it. I don't think you're going to surprise us. Mm -hmm. After 40 plus years, we've heard a lot. And uh, I think we'll be able to participate with guests like Deborah with her great book and with other resources to help you move in a better direction. And as you get in touch, uh, if you're in a good spot, remember that our donor community makes these counseling services available and other great resources to help people where they're uh, at their point of need. So donate as you can, either a monthly pledge or one-time gift, and uh, support the ministry of Focus on the Family. You can donate to the work here when you call 800, the letter A in the word family, or stop by focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. And when you donate to Focus, uh, we'd be happy to say thank you for joining the support team by sending a copy of Deborah's book, Are You Really Okay? Just request that uh, when you make that contribution. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team here, thanks for joining us today for Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller inviting you back as we once more help you and your family thrive in Christ. You're listening to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We'll take a quick break here and then return with another faith-building program for your family. Stay tuned. What God is doing through your life is bigger than you will see here. But this life is just a moment, and one day we'll open our eyes in eternity. 
and forever feel the fullness of joy, forever feel the fullness of peace. And our faith and our hope is that God is orchestrating our lives. The best part of heaven is with us today. It's God's presence. Phil Stacy is with us today on Focus on the Family, and we thank you for joining. Your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly, and I'm John Fuller. John, I think we all have dreams of some sort. I remember in high school thinking, oh, I'd love to play pro football, and uh, I think it's 2% of college athletes make it to the pros, so I didn't realize that. A small dream, but uh, the point is we get caught up in what we think the world has to offer. We forget to trust God and seek his will. I mean, Proverbs 3, verses 5 through 6 have been kind of a life verse for me. You know, don't lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will set your path straight. It's been an awesome verse for me, and uh, sometimes, though, it feels like I'm not working in concert with the Lord, and that's Romans 8, 28, you know, where the Lord tells us he knows that all things work for our good to those who love the Lord and are called by his name. So that's hard to, to understand as well sometimes, that all things, really, Lord, all mm, things yeah. work for our good? Really? Because it doesn't feel like that. Our guest today has seen that promise in his life, and I'm excited to share his story with you today. You'll be encouraged to look beyond the things of this world, to love fully, as he talks about in his great book, and to find true freedom in Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll agree with that, Jim. Uh, Phil Stacy is the creative arts pastor at City Center Church in the Kansas City area, and he and his wife Kendra have two girls, Chloe and Michaela. Uh, you probably know him from season six of the hit uh, Fox television show, American Idol, and uh, in addition to his musical uh, credits, uh, he's an author, and he's really captured his life story in a wonderful book called Made to Worship, Empty Idols, and the Fullness of God. Uh, Phil, welcome to Focus. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. What I'm sitting there made to worship. You know, you would not want to sing next to me. <laughs> I just, so yeah. I'm going to challenge that Are right from the beginning. Are all of us made to worship? I actually tell people, I tell people at my church, if you're a bad singer, then make sure you're singing out really loud, because if nothing else, it'll force the people around you to oh participate my. just yeah. to drown out the sound of there your you voice. There you go. I'm thinking in the car, maybe. Anywhere by myself right. is safe, but I kind of <laughs> lip sync when I'm at church. It's funny i i think you know the bible one of the most requested gifts from god is our song of course music is just a small aspect of what worship is but uh, but i love it because it puts us all in unity you know i was in the military i remember doing these marches and we marched to cadences and we were just all in step and you know christ's one prayer for the people who would believe because of the testimony of the disciples was that we'd be one so i just think it's just a beautiful that's a great way to look at for it. the church to be one you know yeah, maybe we can all be in our own bad singing group together that's it <laughs> you sing well john maybe that's going to be heaven uh, maybe oh, all in a big bad singing here over here together, company know? b company b so let's go to american idol that had to be such an amazing experience and oh, you know sure. i don't watch it often but simon is it simon Cow. Cow. Yeah. Is that guy as mean as he seems? A hundred percent. Oh. <laughs> but, you know, you know, I, I feel like he's a better comedian than he is a critic. Like, I just loved watching Simon before I was on the show. The benefit is, by the time I was on, I was on in 2007, so that was, you know, six, seven years into the show, and uh, 
I think you know what you're getting yourself into. You know what I mean? Like, by the time you make it to the show, you know you're putting yourself in a position where the man is going to say something to you at some point. He can criticize everybody, so he's going to criticize you. But I thought it was fun. Hey, uh, let's start from the beginning. You grew up in what you call a musical uh, ministry family. Mm -hmm. Describe that for us. What was that like? Well, my dad was actually a professional musician before he came to the Lord. Uh, So he got saved in the early 70s, became a pastor and uh, basically took all those musical skills into his ministry. So pretty much everywhere we went, he was sitting on the piano or or participating in some capacity. But mm-hmm. uh, I have a brother and a sister. Uh, my mom was a great singer, so she kind of grouped us together. Wow. We had like the family trio, and um, I don't know. It was basically learning to communicate through song. I mean, it was pretty much... And in that context, did. how much pressure did you feel? Or did you feel pressure at all? Was it just part of there the normal times. thing? <laughs> There were times it wasn't just my family, my extended family. My, my my mom has you know eight brothers and sisters, and and they all have multiple children as well. So you get the family together at these reunions, and and everybody sang. You talk in the book about school and some of the difficulties you had in school. Mm-hmm. Describe those. Well, I just I was just a little bit of an awkward kid. So you know I didn't How? I didn't have I wasn't great at communicating outside of music. So really, I, I had a little bit of a lonely childhood. I guess there's people out there that would be like, well, you had friends. And, and I did, but it was really music that, that invited people to me. I, it wasn't me going out and being like, hi, my name is Phil, anything like that. Um, so because of what a, an important aspect music was, there's just something special about seeing a fourth grader get up and sing at the school talent thing, and, and he can actually hold a tune or something. So everybody would come up to me afterwards, oh, my goodness, here's my name, you know. So you had a lot of identity. In, in For sure. Oh, yeah. At the same time, I mean, you weren't doing well. I think you had to repeat eighth grade, right? Well, I didn't know we were going to talk yeah, about that. Yeah, it's today. in your book. Thanks for bringing that up, sir. <laughs> you wrote about yeah, it. Fair that's true. You're right. Yeah, I, I did. I had to repeat the eighth grade. And... Um, at one point, you chose art over music. So obviously, you're not into math and science. <laughs> but <laughs> I certainly art, wasn't then. So. Art and music at that time for were sure. really the two tugs in your heart. Mm-hmm. Um, what brought you back to, to music after you kind of spent some time in school doing the arts. Yeah, I, well, you know, you, you get older and my whole childhood was singing and everywhere you went, again, you see kids that can sing and everybody goes nuts over them. Uh, but then all of a sudden I'm 14, 13, 14 years old. My voice is changing and I couldn't sing anymore. So when I went into high school, I had to choose. They had all the arts classes together, band, choir, art, all that stuff. And ultimately decided, you know what, my music days are behind me. I'm going to, pursue this art thing and 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 I loved it but then my my sister encouraged me to do a talent competition or not a talent competition but a basically a variety show with her and all of a sudden again it kind of opened the door to a lot of friendships mm-hmm. so now I have a ton of people saying hey you should come join choir with us and and you should come be in shows with us and so it kind of opened up the door to a social life if that makes sense right so music once again became kind of the core of your identity in some pretty ways. much yeah it's been a common theme i have one hammer in my tool shed and it's, <laughs> no no it's i mean music yeah you it well. hey, you know what at least you have a hammer <laughs> some right. of us don't have a That's tool right. hey, i'll take it but let me let me ask you about your dad i thought this was a really interesting story in the book about um you got a job you're waitering i think it's in high school right that's right and yeah. uh, a lot of people left early. I can remember working at a fast food place. I think I recall a scene somewhat like this where 
it was a light evening. Everybody left. And there's two of us remaining. Right. That's kind of your story. This was, yeah, it was, it was a monumental moment. So the story begins, I'm 16 years old. I get a job working as a server for Villagen. So a lot of people go into Villagen's Pancake House. It's a pretty good-sized restaurant, but I was an awful server. And to this point, again, like I just now said, I've got one hammer. I just felt like a failure at everything. I wasn't what would doing make you a bad server? I don't know. You I just get couldn't the orders, do it. Right? I, would, I would drop trays, and I would just, like, my manager would not give me a section of more than one table. It was bad. <laughs> that was a clue. And he would, only, he would only book me to serve tables on, like, Mondays and Tuesdays when nobody ever goes out. So he's like, we'll teach you eventually. But I just felt like I just couldn't get it. Um, and so finally, one, one of these Monday nights, he ends up – uh, scheduling me as a server, but there's not really anybody in the restaurant. I'm sitting around, and and I started working at this restaurant because most of my friends worked there. Uh, That's how it normally happens, right? Exactly. So we're sitting there, and we none of us are really making a whole lot of money at this point. And we, we thought it'd be funny. Let's all just quit uh, tonight. The manager literally left early, so he just tosses us the keys. He's like, "Turn the lights off, uh, lock the doors when you leave." I mean, I knew it was the wrong thing to do, but I watched. As one by one, all these people left, uh, and suddenly there's only three people left. There's a host, there's a cook, and there's only one server. <laughs> and it's <laughs> you. And it's me. And there's more than one table there. Oh, there's busy. a lot more, yeah. And it, and it was fine because really there wasn't anybody coming in until like 9 o'clock at night. All of a sudden, you could see all these cars turning into the parking lot, and I'm like, uh-oh, what's happening right now? I got... <laughs> I just froze, and all of a sudden, these people just start flooding into the doors, and uh, and I realized instantly that I was going to have to serve all these people, and uh, and I've never served a table or more than one table at a time. <laughs> uh, so my first instinct, if you've ever been in a situation where you feel just completely overwhelmed, maybe you've asked God to get you out of that situation. I called my father and asked him to get me out of that situation. I was like, Dad, you got to let me quit. <laughs> I cannot do this. Uh, and there's a pause. He says, Well, son, do you want to be a boy? Or do you want to be a man? Well, this is the moment. That's right. And so I'm like, well, you know, I had no interest in being a man in that moment. And I wanted to come home. But I was like, well, you know, what do you want me to do? Uh, and he said, well, I want you to do what you committed yourself to do. And the pivotal moment here is that you surrender your will to your father. So even at 16, I knew that there's nobody in the world rooting for me like my father is. And so I'm trusting him. And so I'm like, you know what? I'm going to do this. All right, Dad, I'll do it. By the time I get off the phone, the entire restaurant is set. Restaurant lingo for there's a person in every single seat in the restaurant. And there's a wait up front. And um, so I jump up on the host station and I'm like, you know, it was an Amway convention was in town. So all these folks came in from this Amway convention. (laughs) You know, they're going to want coffee and pie and all this stuff. And uh, I jump up on this host station. I'm like, can I get everybody's attention? Welcome to Village Inn. The bad news is I'm your only server and I'm not very good. (laughs) But if you'll be patient with me. I'll take care of you to the best of my ability. And they're all like, woo, Amway. At least it was a motivated crowd. Well, at least they were happy. Right. But immediately you're kind of sensing, you know, this moment of like trusting in my father instantly dissipated because I didn't know what to do first. And once I did go to the first table, what do I do next? Do I go get their drinks and come at this? The order of operations, I didn't know them. (laughs) My boss isn't there. And for some reason, we didn't call him. Um, and I'm just standing there just feeling so, like, abandoned and alone and, like, I'm in over my head. I can't do this. When all of a sudden, the front door opens up and in walks my father. And he says, how can I help you? And it was just kind of pivotal because 
he was the personification of my heavenly father, even through the night. I mean, he ended up staying until like three o'clock in the morning. He served drinks for me. He made salads. He had absolutely no idea how to make. Um, and, uh, but he, the point is he was there and, uh, through this whole night, I'm thinking of these Bible verses are just kind of going through my head. And it was like God was using that. My dad was a preacher. This was the best sermon he ever preached to me was just his presence. Mm. And the fact that he was cheering for me, it was like the whole load was taken off of me. And because I obeyed my father, because I submitted my will to my father, that night changed me. First of all, uh, I went from a guy who couldn't do this felt like a failure to like a grandmaster ninja warrior of serving tables because I had to serve a whole restaurant, you know? Uh, and I went from feeling like I couldn't do something to feeling like, you know what? There's nothing yeah, that's impossible. that is awesome. If, if I'm working at it. And then, of course... I prospered that night because I listened to my dad. I ended up making a killing in tips. And, <laughs> and then just a couple of months, a couple of weeks later, actually, they ended up making me an assistant manager. And uh, I mean, it was, it was a really wow. cool deal. So you went from the gutter to the penthouse. 100%, just transformational. I'm oh, like a high school kid with a salary position. Right. Right. I love it. That is a great story. And we're talking today on Focus on the Family with Phil Stacy, And uh, this story and others are captured in his book, Made to Worship. And we'll encourage you to stop by focusonthefamily.ca or call 1-800-THE-LETTER-A-AND-THE-WORD-FAMILY. Phil, you went to Lee University. I think you became a uh, Lee singer, as it's known. That included making a trip to China. What happened and what did you learn through that experience? Yeah, I went to China after my freshman year in college. And the Lee Singers is just a singing group. They have several ensembles at Lee. It's a very musical school. I mean, we have if you watch any musical reality show, you've seen a ton of Lee students come through. And if you've listened to country music or Christian music, you've listened to the work of a lot of Lee students. Um, and I went and, uh, and I auditioned, got into this group. Every summer we took a, a missions trip. The very first one, of course, was China. And we're there to do missions work and to sing uh, gospel music. And uh, uh, But it was polarizing to me to see how devoted so many of the religious followers of Buddhism were to their faith. So I would go into these temples or pagodas. You'd see people with their face down on the ground or or weeping as they burned incense or something. And I just got a, a sense of jealousy for, for God on behalf of how undedicated to worship I had been, you know, like I would sing or whatever, but I just, I'd never been in that posture of humility mm. before God. It was just this revelation of who God is, like he's God. And that's where I want to be. It's not, I don't want to be on equal footing with him. I want to be, I want to be his child, you know? So it just changed the way that I worship him and, uh, and, and my personal dedication to him. This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment. Do you feel called to serve God in your career? Check out some of the exciting job opportunities we have at Focus on the Family. We're looking to fill positions in marketing, IT, and marriage counseling. Work with other talented believers. Enjoy a meaningful, Christ-centered work environment. And use the skills God gave you to encourage others and help families thrive. To learn more, visit FocusOnTheFamily.com slash careers. That's FocusOnTheFamily.com slash careers. I'm here asking people what happens when you turn 70 and a half. You get free ice cream for life? Uh, you get more senior discounts? When you turn 70 and a half, you're eligible for an IRA charitable rollover, and you can give that to Focus on the Family. You can find out more at focusplannedgiving.com. 
reduce your taxable income, and help families thrive for generations to come. It's a gift that appreciates, and we appreciate you for giving it. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. Uh, let's move to you meeting Kendra. You get back from China mm-hmm. and you meet your wife. Right. Uh, it sounded like it was pretty fast uh, in terms oh, yeah. of, hi, my name's Phil. Will you marry me? <laughs> kind of, yeah. I mean, by then, okay, so through my life, you know, I I was a follower of Christ. I think I, I went to the altar when I was seven years old. I had some, you know, some confusion around my faith when I was in high school, but I, I, something over the course of my freshman year in college just really drew me in. I think I was truly born again in that time frame. And of course, like uh, going to China and, and learning and developing a new level of, of worship and devotion to Christ, I think I was prepared. And, uh, and I thought, actually, a couple of my friends on the China trip, we made jokes. It was a guy and a girl, and we made jo- not really jokes. We were like, we're going to we're going to just devote our life to missions and we're never going to get married. You know, we're going to be like Apostle Paul. And, and uh, those two ended up marrying each other. But, oh. <laughs> I, but the day I got home, one of my friends from high school introduced me to his girlfriend. His girlfriend's best friend was Kendra. And uh, I instantly thought, you know, this is a beautiful girl. And she was funny, hung out with her. But that night I did go home and tell my dad I, I met the girl I was going to marry. It was her devotion to Christ. Really, I mean, just set her apart and uh, knew I'd found a partner. Mm. All right, let's get get into a bit of the uh, the idol chatter, I guess you'd call it. I don't know. I, you know, I've watched a bit of that. I watched The Voice. Nice. Uh, you know, I've seen a few of those shows. Uh, but to your story, a friend convinced you to audition, and you made it through the the celebrity judges. You I, I, you could talk about the process, but something was happening at home. Uh, describe that whole adventure. Yeah. Yeah, I um, let's see. By this point, it was 2006. My wife and I had a two-year-old daughter, and um, uh, she was pregnant with our second daughter. Like you said, I missed a buddy's wedding. If, when you're in the military, you miss other people's events. It's just what you do. And he told me the only way he'd forgive me is if I auditioned for American Idol. <laughs> it's an interesting yeah. forgiveness trail. I know. It, I mean, it was kind of a funny thing. He wasn't really mad at me, but he just wanted to see me do it. And it was my last year I was even eligible because I was 28 years old. But So I went to my commanding officer, and I asked him for permission. And the first audition was September the 2nd. I didn't realize that it was, like, cut up into different auditions. So the first day of audition, you're going into this big arena. It's full of people. I think in Memphis we had 16,000 people audition that day. Uh, So obviously Randy, Paula, and Simon are not going to see all of those people. But they dragged it out. I mean, I didn't meet Randy, Paula, and Simon until October the 5th. Hmm. So that was over a month away. And by the time that came along, babies do. I, I was not even going to go, but my wife was like, you've made it through, you know, three levels of auditions. You might actually make it to Hollywood. So that 16,000 got narrowed down to... Probably a couple of hundred. A couple of hundred, wow. At that point, okay. for, for the three judges. And sure enough, I, I come to Memphis to do my audition, and my brother and my dad are with me. Uh, and uh, I get a call at like 3 o'clock in the morning, and it's my mom who went to go be with my wife just in case. And she's like, do you hear anything? And sure enough, in the background, there's a baby crying, and and I, I'd missed the baby's birth. So I go, and, and, and immediately I'm like, I need to get home to be with Kendra. But I go to the producers, and I'm like, hey, guys, I'm sorry. I'm not going to be able to do the audition. i got to get home. They're like, well, why? I said, my baby was just born, and you know, they're like, 
<laughs> lifting the cameras immediately. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> They're like, tell us that story, you know. So they ended up giving me like a three-minute segment at the end of that audition episode and let me go and audition first. And then they, they put me through to Hollywood. Hmm. Oh, that's great. I know. If they didn't put me through the Hollywood, I, I would have been terrible. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> like, well, you missed your baby's birth. Sorry, buddy. Yeah, it's all downhill. <laughs> I know. But, uh, but going through that then, what happened? We had a double elimination week. One week, I was the first one that was that was eliminated, um, but made it into basically the top five week, and it was a crazy experience. You get to meet all these celebrities that you know you grew up listening to. We met Diana Ross, met mm-hmm. Bon Jovi, Gwen Stefani, and Jennifer Lopez, and they all come out and they mentor you, and uh, you get to do a lot of fun stuff. Like every Sunday, we did these big elaborate commercials for Ford. It was just a really interesting experience. Yeah. Hollywood was. Another How did it change you? I mean, you know, from what you were going into that, then coming out. Well, there was a couple ways. There was there was some healthy growth, and there was there was some unhealthy stuff that happened. So on the on the healthy side, I think that I stopped really being so consumed with what other people thought of me, hmm. uh, which is weird on a show like American Idol because you're trying to appease the people back home and all this. I think, you know, my book starts with a a really wonderful thing that my wife helped me see. You know, I remember every single week. And if you go, these videos are out there on the Internet. Um, And you can see every week how terrified I look. Like my eyes are just like (laughs) I'm like shaking. And then there's just one week that goes to like a completely comfortable level. And the thing that happened between was my wife helping me to realize that I was letting pride into my life. And, you know, I was a devoted follower of Christ at this point. I, I, you know, was a, was leading worship at a church and, and all this stuff. And I was just opening the door to some stuff and, and that did play out. I did open the door to some stuff specifically on the American Idol tour. But, uh, but in this moment, my wife kind of helped me realize, you know, even this kind of humility, the kind of humility where basically you're just worried about what everybody else thinks about you is still a form of pride Mm -hmm. because God is going to do when you're, when you're following the Lord, the Holy Spirit is going to empower you to do what he's called you to do. So if he wants me to to win, if he wants me to get cut, whatever, I'm submitted to him as Lord. And whatever happens, he's sovereign. Like you were talking about, all things work together for the good for those who are in Christ Jesus. So no matter what happens in this experience, I can trust him, my father, you know, just like I did my dad at Village Inn. I can trust him. No matter what happens, he's going to be with me. He's going to be there working yeah. on my behalf. And so I think there was just this thing, and I wish I could impart this to every follower of Christ, to stop worrying so much about how you're perceived by other people, that there is a real peace and joy in just following the Lord, just living for Him, just surrendering to His purpose and letting it play out, just trusting Him. Well, that may be the golden nugget of the whole discussion. Yeah. I mean, that really is it, especially in the culture today. Uh, Phil, that person who feels like God has forgotten them, you know, we've talked a lot. You've had an amazing, you know, journey. The Lord's brought you through a lot of things, introduced you to your wife rather quickly. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, You know, all that stuff that you put into your great book, Made to Worship, um, but that person that feels forgotten that may be listening right now, you know, they're stuck in a job they really don't like. Yeah. Um, what, what advice do you have for them living out Romans eight twenty eight? How do you stick with it and trust that God does know where you're at? He does love you. He does care about you. How do you get a different perspective on your life when it doesn't feel like it's going the way you felt it would? Yeah, I think, I think it comes down to that point of surrendering your will to your father's. And trusting. And I know that that's not easy for a lot of people. But 
I would really encourage that person, if you're listening to the program, to really dig into the scriptures. What you're going to find is that out of 66 books, there's not a single main character from the Bible that I would trade lives with. They had struggles. I mean, we're talking real struggles. God's sovereignty turns all those ashes into something beautiful. If you're in the part of your story that is difficult, if you're in your part of the Joseph story where you're imprisoned or where you feel imprisoned or where you feel like you're the lowest of the servants or whatever, remember that God's sovereign plan over your life is already spoken. So if you can put your faith in what God has already spoken through his word, uh, through the scriptures, and understand that the big mosaic that he's orchestrating is bigger than any of us could possibly see. Your faithfulness to Christ in the midst of this will be effective for generations to come. I think about how my, my granddad was a pastor, and he just planted little churches. Um, and he felt like he wasn't educated enough to be a pastor. So once they could afford a real pastor, they would bring somebody in. Uh, but man, I've, I've gotten to share the gospel with millions of people now. Uh, just really cool opportunities. But everything that I do, including this broadcast, that's an extension of that man's ministry. Mm-hmm. Huh. It's his faithfulness in the little things. It couldn't have been easy no. to put up these buildings in Kentucky, you know, you know, almost single-handedly some of them. But look at how that's, it's not just me. Like so many of my cousins are pastors now. So many of the people on that side of the family have, who have raised their kids, missionaries now. Just incredible. What God is doing through your life is bigger than you will see here. But this life is just a moment. And one day we'll open our eyes in eternity and forever feel the fullness of joy, forever feel the fullness of peace. And, and, our, and our faith yeah. and our hope is that God is orchestrating our lives. The best part of heaven is with us today. It's God's presence. Yeah. And we can Amen. take that no matter where we go. That is well said, Phil. And it's been great having you with us. And it's a wonderful uh, moment to be able to tell you we have caring Christian counselors. If you're struggling in that area and you're not sure that God remembers who you are, I guarantee he does. Um, but call us and let us schedule a time to have one of those caring Christian counselors talk with you. Uh, we have plenty of resources here at Focus to help you. Uh, get a different perspective that is, I think, a godly perspective that gives you the peace of mind that the Lord knows you, he loves you, he cares for you, and just be faithful. I think there's nothing that puts the smile on the Lord's face like a person's faithfulness, especially a person who's uh, feeling like they're at the bottom. I think when we can respond to the Lord in that moment, it warms the heart of God Mm -hmm. that his creation loves him despite their circumstances. Um, And I think it does put a smile on God's face that we love him and trust him, even in those moments. Yeah, and if you're feeling uh, a need to talk to somebody, please give us a call. Um, You can also get a copy of Phil's book, Made to Worship, when you get in touch. Our number is 800, the letter A in the word family. And John, also, uh, you know, we want to get this book into your hands. We say this a lot. If you can help us, be part of the ministry. That's the Lord's perspective there. We're all doing this together. Uh, If you can join our monthly sustainer group, we'll send you a copy of Phil's book as our way of saying thank you for being a part of the ministry. If that doesn't fit, uh, a one-time gift, we'll do the same for you. We'll send you a copy of the book. And actually, if you can't afford it, we're not going to hold it back. That's not what we do as Christians. So if you need it, get in touch with us and we'll give it to you. Trusting others will cover the expense of that. And uh, I just, again, thank you, Phil, for sharing your story with us. It's been an honor. Thank you guys for having me. And once again, donate and get a copy of Phil's book, Made to Worship, or connect with one of our counselors or find other resources, all at our website, focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast, or call 800-the-letter-A in the word family. 
On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for joining us today for Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller inviting you back as we once again help you and your family thrive in Christ.